Welcome back, friends. Uh, it's been a little while. Uh, over a month, I think, since my last episode. Uh, not a lot going on. Um, just uh, hadn't really had the time to do one, but uh, here we are today. Today's episode, we're going to deviate a little bit uh, from our traditional mode of looking at bacteria or viruses that'll make you sick. And I'm actually going to look at something that might actually make you well. Interestingly enough, this thing that will make you well, or could make you well, uh, is probably the most prolific killer on the planet. Uh, this organism is responsible for lots and lots and lots and lots of bacterial death. Today we are going to look at bacteriophages. Uh, so kind of to preface this, uh, more than 1.2 million people die as a result from uh, antimicrobial resistance bacteria every year. Uh, at least this is in 2019, those numbers are from. And it's been estimated, this is from the American Society of Microbiology, that uh, if nothing changes by 2050, up to 10 million people could die from these drug-resistant bacteria every year. Uh, so something's got to change. And uh, here we have phage therapy. So you might ask, what exactly is a bacteriophage? Phage or phage, uh, whichever, potato, potato. So bacteriophages, uh, they're actually viruses, uh, viruses that specifically target and destroy bacteria. Uh, so you might ask kind of where do they come from? Uh, so they're everywhere. So uh, they can come from anywhere, sewage, dirt on the ground, our body, uh, you actually have billions of these crawling around all over you, uh, hands, uh, your eyelids, in your gut. Uh, thankfully, they don't serve, uh, you know, they're not dangerous to humans, uh, just to bacteria. So they're actually kind of helping us, uh, helping the world around us kind of balance that, uh, that bacterial menace that's always out there. Uh, so how many different types of these bacteriophages are there? Uh, there are thousands of different types. Uh, the ones that uh, are used to treat humans, I'll kind of get into it a little bit, uh, are very specific. So uh, and this is where phage therapy kind of uh, comes into play. So phage therapy uses these phages to actually treat bacterial infections. Uh, with antibiotics, you know, they have a great ability to actually destroy harmful bacteria, but there's also this opportunity for that bacteria to gain resistance. And this is where we get those multi-drug resistant organisms, which are just, they're happening more and more frequently now and becoming harder to treat. Uh, just because they keep gaining resistance to all these antibiotics that we're trying to throw at them, uh, especially over the last 10 or 15 years. So the advantage to phage therapy is that each phage has evolved to actually narrowly target specific bacteria, uh, and sometimes some strains that are even close uh, to the targeted bacteria. Due to this precise targeting of the bacteria, it's kind of becoming more widely discussed, and more money's actually been donated to phage therapy to, to try and do a little more research uh, just to alleviate some of the antibiotic use that we've been doing. So you might ask specifically, how do these work? So we know with viruses, uh, a virus, their whole goal is to kind of uh, hijack the cellular machinery, insert their DNA, uh, or insert certain parts of their cellular machinery into the host, uh, and then replicate, and that's how they kind of procreate and spread. Uh, so with phages, uh, same type of thing, they're a virus. Uh, they have a, almost look, anybody had a, seen a 20-sided die who plays uh, Dungeons and Dragons as a kid? Probably not so many anymore, but uh, it's a, it's a, I, I can't even pronounce it. I, not a dodecahedron, it's, 
It's some kind of a helixical, 20-sided, uh, almost like head on the top of it. It has, uh, its center is almost, you can picture like a tube that it's connected to. And then it has legs, almost like a daddy long legs, but not quite so many. I think there's either four or six legs. Uh, they're extremely small. But uh, these viruses are able to kind of attach the host bacteria. They insert their DNA into the host bacteria. Their DNA actually hijacks the cellular machinery of that bacteria. Once inside, they replicate. They replicate to a point where the bacteria actually bursts, destroying the bacteria. So that's kind of how these phages work. That's how they spread. Uh, that's how they kind of uh, procreate and, uh, and are a menace to bacteria. So there are two types of these phage viruses. So the first type are called lytic. Uh, strictly lytic phages are the ones that infect the host and then they cause cell death by bursting the bacteria. Uh, the second type are called temperate or lysogenic phages. Uh, these are a little bit different. They don't kill the bacteria quickly. Instead, they get their DNA in there, uh, and this can start to cause some issues. Uh, some phages can actually have uh, certain parts of their genome that can be toxic uh, or cause toxic uh, kind of subparticles to humans or to the bacteria. And they also have genes that can actually provide antimicrobial resistance as well. So as you, if you can imagine, these viruses get into the cell, uh, they don't immediately burst either. So they have a lot of these viruses spreading their bacteria, spreading, sorry, spreading their genome around throughout the bacteria. Uh, the bacteria actually gains resistance as well from uh, any antimicrobials that might be used on them. Uh, they get this from the virus. Uh, eventually though, the bacteria does burst uh, from the phage, but its contents, which have these possible toxins from uh, the temperate or lysogenic phages, as well as any of these antimicrobial resistance genes, end up getting spread throughout the host. Um, and this can uh, cause issues as far as just uh, an immune response from the host, depending on what or when it is. Uh, it's also not a quick death. So these uh, lysogenic phages and these temperate phages, um, they postpone the slowing uh, I should say they postpone the death of the bacteria. So the bacteria has time to actually multiply and can cause harm to the host uh, before they die. So that being said, uh, that's why we don't use temperate or lysogenic phages. Uh, the types of phages that are used in uh, phage therapy are just the lytic version. So you might ask, how long has this therapy been around? It's actually been around for quite a while. Uh, it dates back over 100 years. Uh, there's some dispute on who was the first to actually discover and use phages. Uh, most typically, the person who's credited for it was a French-Canadian microbiologist named Félix de Herlé. probably not pronouncing that correctly, uh, but he's uh, credited with discovering and naming bacteriophages. There are some who think that there was another microbiologist uh, from Britain named Frederick Twart, who was uh, the first person who discovered phages. But it was actually uh, to Herlihy's use of phages that was the catalyst just for the international study of it. Uh, a lot of the first studying of phages took place in Eastern Europe and a lot in the former USSR. And they tested the efficacy of phages against everything from typhoid fever to cholera. Uh, here in the US, uh, it was being used up until about the 1940s. There were several pharmaceutical companies here in the U.S. that actually produced phage preparations to treat various infections. Uh, a lot of those were upper respiratory tract and uh, then also skin abscesses. 
so why didn't phage therapy become more widely used? Uh, there's a few reasons. Uh, the first uh, two or three probably didn't help the cause, and the last one definitely is probably the reason why it was no longer used. So the first reason why uh, kind of slowed down, stopped being used, is there were questions about the efficacy and exactly how well the therapies worked. This was kind of confounded because there were inadequate storage practices and inadequate purifying techniques for a lot of these phages. A lot of them used phenols, and phenols would actually denature the phages, and they pretty much rendered them ineffective. Uh, there was also a thought that phages could work against multiple types of bacteria at once instead of being very specific. Uh, as we know now, most of these phages are very bacteria-specific, uh, so they didn't produce, produce consistent results. Uh, this lowered the confidence in the phage therapy and was another reason why it stopped being used widely. Uh, and there was also this stigma of being associated with treatment that was being used in Eastern Europe and Russia post-World War II. Uh, and that kind of deterred further use as well. But uh, the biggest reason is for, uh, or was, because of antibiotics. So after the discovery of penicillin and then all the other analogs that came after that for antibiotics, uh, it rendered phage therapy pretty much obsolete because antibiotics seem to treat these bacterial infections much, much better. Uh, so why the resurgence now? Why so much interest now? As I said, those multiple drug-resistant organisms that we're starting to see uh, pop up more and more frequently and just become more deadly and more resistant to multiple types of even broad-spectrum antibiotics are uh, starting to raise the interest in phage therapy. Uh, one of the biggest problems uh, with antibiotics, as great as they are, is they kind of lead to these MDROs, and it's we've kind of gone overboard and have for the last I don't know, 50 years, maybe even longer than that. We're much better, getting better about it now than we were. Uh, but we used to prescribe antibiotics for everything. Uh, even when you didn't need it, you'd probably get antibiotics for it. I remember as a kid just getting antibiotics pretty much every time I went with an earache or a throat ache, any, sore throat, anything. But now things have changed, uh, starting to kind of reassess that. Um, over the past decade or so, uh, this phage therapy has really experienced a renaissance here in the U.S. Uh, and mostly because of these uh, antimicrobial resistant organisms that we're seeing. Uh, one of the, uh, I guess, founding, I would call her founding father, I have a founding mother, I don't know, someone who's been a huge advocate for phage therapy is actually uh, epidemiologist Dr. Stephanie Strathdy. She's a, an associate dean of global health sciences, and she's a co-founder and co-director of the Center for Innovative Phage Application and Therapeutics, otherwise known as IPATH. Uh, they're actually in uh, University of California, San Diego. And her, fourth, like her entire introduction into phage therapy is, uh, was pretty personal. So uh, her husband, who is a psychiatrist and a professor at the UCD, UCSD School of Medicine, uh, contracted a multi-drug-resistant Acinetobacter baumani infection while they were in Egypt back in 2015. Uh, they could not treat it. No matter what they gave for antibiotics, the, uh, the infection just kept spreading. They weren't able to kill the bacteria. And she was essentially told that there was nothing else they could do. So she started doing research on her own to see if there was anything, any alternative therapies they could try. And uh, she stumbled across phage therapy. And they did it, and after a few weeks, her husband fully recovered. And ever since then, she's actually been a huge proponent and uh, trying to spread the word about phage therapy. Uh, she actually has a book called The Perfect Predator, A Scientist's Race to Save Her Husband from a Deadly Superbug. Uh, 
and this is a book that uh, one of my Twitter followers, um, Love Maws, actually recommended to me. So if anybody's interested in that type of uh, heart-wrenching story about uh, love, loss, and bacteriophages, um, you should try and pick it up. So you might ask yourself, why aren't we using this therapy more? Uh, why isn't there more research being done about it? Uh, so I'm going to touch on some of the advantages and possible disadvantages of phage therapy. Uh, one thing is how do we know which phages to use, right? So finding the right ones can actually take time. Uh, it involves testing a lot of phages, especially there are phage libraries. Uh, so you can go through and kind of try and find specific phages to treat certain bacteria. Uh, but there was one study that had a range from it took about 28 days to, I think, just over one year between the time of a request for a phage to actual administration of the patient. So that's a huge window, you know, one month to one year to discover the correct phage to actually treat uh, an infection. And most people don't have that type of time. If you have a multi-drug resistant infection, that's, you know, it, it, every day matters. More than that, like every hour matters, depending on what you're treating. So not a lot of time there. Uh, what is nice, though, is that there are products that have been and are still being developed that treat this broader range of bacteria. There's actually a company called Locus Biosciences, and they kind of engineer phage biotherapeutics. Uh, and they have cocktails. So these phage cocktails, uh, they have one that uh, treats four different types but common pathogens. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they have one that specifically targets E. coli, Klebsiella pneumoniae, uh, Pseudomonas, which is a tough one to kill, and uh, Staph aureus. And this cocktail of these four different phages can actually target greater than about 95% of clinical strains, which is huge. Um, this approach doesn't really require culturing a patient's isolate either, so you don't have to wait uh, for that to come back for specificity if you have uh, you know, an inkling that you have one of these you can actually use phage therapy to try and treat it and can actually streamline the process of uh, administrating treatment and not having to wait. Uh, the manufacturing though and the administration of phage therapeutics isn't 100% straightforward either. Uh, we need to do more research on this. Unlike with antibiotics, you have concentrations of the drug that decrease in the body over time. Uh, with phages, it's kind of the opposite. Uh, these phages multiply. That's how they kill the bacteria. So this means that a dose of phage cocktail that a patient's actually being administered isn't necessarily what they're going to receive once it's in the body. They could be getting more, they could be getting less. It, uh, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's a crapshoot, but we really just don't have a lot of evidence to know specifically how much or how many of these phages are going to be created. Uh, typically not really a huge problem since these phages themselves uh, and their byproducts aren't toxic or harmful to us. Uh, but we're still not fully, I, I shouldn't say, we, we don't know for sure. For the most part, from the evidence that we have, uh, phages haven't shown to be toxic to the host. Uh, but, you know, if you have extremely high concentrations, uh, and especially if you have some that may have byproducts that could be dangerous, uh, something that research needs to be done more on. Uh, the other question is, what about, uh, so with antibiotics, uh, bacteria can gain resistance. Is there that possibility with phages as well? Uh, in most cases of phage therapy today, they actually use one of the cocktails that I mentioned before. Uh, what is helpful with this is that this reduces the chance that any bacteria will actually form resistance, where if you had just one phage that you're using, uh, the bacteria may have a higher chance of forming some resistance. 
to this day, though, I don't think there's much evidence of bacteria becoming resistant to phages. Any resistance that there is to phages, though, is kind of a double-edged sword for the bacteria because it's been shown in studies that when phages are given with antibiotics that are that the bacteria is resistant to, that the phage therapy reduces the bacteria's resistance level to antibiotics and can make it susceptible to using antibiotics. So, uh, it, it phages can be helpful even if the bacteria becomes a little resistant to the phage therapy. It seems to lessen their resistance to antibiotics. So that's uh, something that's kind of a a little bonus right there. Uh, there's also, like I said, that question about toxicity. Um, you know, the phages are made of nucleic acids. It's the basic building blocks of life. They're inherently non-toxic. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, any organism that we introduce into the body at uh, any point could provoke an immune response. Uh, as I said, not a lot of evidence to kind of suggest this. Uh, but there is also the, the possibility of when these bacteria do die and explode, if they have toxic uh, elements or endotoxins that are going to be spread throughout the body, the body could certainly react to that as well. Uh, so that is something to kind of consider uh, as we go forward trying to research these. There's also a question of with antibiotics, depending on what type of antibiotic, especially broad spectrum, you disrupt a lot of the good bacteria that we have. So we have a lot of good flora just kind of everywhere, our mouths, our gut, uh, even on our skin. And that's where a lot of these antibiotic associated uh, like C. diff or even the yeast Canada albicanus, some of these uh, drug resistant versions of those come from. And they also destroy that good bacteria, just opening up a whole pathway for these uh, opportunistic uh, infections to occur. So with phages, you don't see that. So there's no disruption of good bacteria. Uh, it doesn't touch them. They only target the bacteria that they're specifically going after. And like I said, we have billions of these throughout the body. Uh, and they do not disrupt anything uh, on our skin or in our guts. So these are friendly viruses. Uh, they get along with our friendly bacteria and target the bad bacteria. There's also a question about, uh, you know, how fast can we discover these phages? Uh, how much research is being done to that? Uh, they're easily discovered because they're everywhere. Uh, anywhere from, you know, raw sewage or other waste materials that have a lot of bacteria to, uh, as I said, your skin or, you know, outside on a leaf, anywhere. It, they're all over the place. Then there's also the uh, benefit with these phages of something called a, a single dose potential. So uh, even though usually, I, I believe right now with phage therapy, they offer more than one administration, there is the possibility that with phages you only need one single dose uh, just because they replicate so well within the host. Uh, their you know, active therapy or their phage amplification, something called uh, auto-dosing, happens once they get in there and kill a bacteria and spread. So, uh, you know, achieving efficacy following like one dose uh, it would be a huge advantage compared to something like an antibiotic. You have to do usually a whole course of antibiotics depending on what it is, which can last from days to weeks depending on the type of infection that you have, which just presents all kinds of other problems. And then that's a, one of the bigger reasons for some of these multi-drug resistant antibiotic or multi-drug resistant bacteria 
is that uh, people don't finish their whole course of antibiotics, so you kill the majority of the bacteria, but bacteria that are strong enough to survive the antibiotics can actually gain resistance to them and then spread. And it's also how you see recurring infections. So uh, potential just for a, a single dose, uh, which would streamline the whole process. It wouldn't take long to treat something. So there's advantages there. There's also the question of can these viruses be transferred between hosts or subjects. So uh, not something that really, uh, at least in the human world, they haven't read much about, but I guess it could be pretty useful in agricultural applications if you're trying to fend off uh, bad bacteria uh, and able to spread um, plant to plant or flower to flower uh, to actually help defend against bacteria in agricultural settings. So uh, unlike antibiotics as well, uh, there's something called single-hit kinetics, so that's where you only need one phage to kill a single bacteria. Uh, and since phage, they multiply, and there's a lot of them, uh, and they spread out, you can do a lot of damage. So uh, phage is a little more efficient uh, just at killing than antibiotics are, which could be really useful as well. And uh, relatively low cost. So the production of phages, it really just involves a combination of, of host growth and then the purification process after that. Uh, these can vary, obviously, but uh, when it comes to developing new antibiotics, uh, phage therapy seems like it'd be much, much lower cost, which hopefully would be passed on uh, to the consumer. Uh, that's, you know, we know that's not how pharmaceutical companies work, but uh, maybe this is a way for pharmaceutical companies to kind of uh, help to reshape their image in the future by providing low-cost treatments for, uh, I, I don't think it'll happen, but uh, low-cost treatments uh, compared to antibiotics. So what about the future of phage therapy? So, you know, most of the things that I talked about, like for all the, you know, possible negative aspects, there seem to be far more positive. Uh, so the FDA is completely on board with phage therapy. Uh, the uh, NIH actually recently awarded two and a half million dollars to 12 different institutes around the world to study phage therapy. Uh, clinical trials, there's a bunch of those happening. Uh, there's a multi-center phase two trial, which is uh, assessing the microbiological, micro, bleh, microbiological activity of a single dose of phage therapy uh, in cystic fibrosis patients who are chronically colonized with Pseudomonas so Pseudomonas uh, aeruginosa, hard to treat. People with cystic fibrosis especially, I mean, this can be, you know, life-altering for them. So uh, also July of last year in 2022, um, there's a, a company called Locus. They kicked off a phase three trial that was evaluating the safety, the tolerability, and the pharmacokinetic pharmacokinetics and efficacy of a phage drug product um, that would help to treat urinary tract infections caused by multi-drug resistant E. coli. So that's another pretty common one that we tend to see. Uh, we'll see that in the hospital a lot, especially people who have chronic catheters sometimes get that really hard to treat. Uh, so it'd be great if uh, phage therapy could work in treating that. Uh, Locus again, uh, they're developing phage therapeutics using a uh, CRISPR technique too. So kind of optimizing these phages. It's great that uh, these phages, you know, target specific bacteria, but what if we can't find a phage to treat a certain bacterial infection? What do we do? There's actually ways to use phage phages as kind of like a messenger to go in uh, 
almost like an assassin to seek and destroy and uh, sneak in there. And the phages themselves wouldn't be the component that kills the bacteria, but the phages would be the ones that we use to uh, kind of sneak the uh, whatever the agent is to kill them. So uh, Locust is using something called CRISPR technology. So CRISPR is a way that uh, you can actually go in and edit genes. You will you edit it by kind of cutting out certain parts or whole parts of the, the genome or the DNA. And you can replace it with something or you can just leave it empty. Uh, what the phage therapy does, it actually delivers a CRISPR gene into the bacterial host. It replicates this CRISPR gene, just removes the DNA from the bacteria. Uh, bacteria can no longer replicate and it ends up dying. So uh, something that I think will probably be used a lot more in the future. Um, there have been, you can get CRISPR kits on the internet, I think, for people who want to do like their own home lab stuff. It's kind of crazy. I think this was a thing, it's like gene editing. It was kind of a big deal a few years ago, probably longer than that. But when the whole aspect of cloning came out, that uh, one of the things you could use to like use clone, do cloning was CRISPR. So, but for those interested, C R I S P R CRISPR. Uh, you can research it on Google. Uh, get down a whole rabbit hole on it. But uh, phage therapy using CRISPR to kill bacteria. Uh, in UCLA, uh, UCLA, UCLA, UCLA researchers. Uh, They've actually combined phages with nano-scale nano rods of gold. So minuscule, like extremely, like I said, nanoparticles of gold. Uh, the nanoparticle phages kind of get into the bacteria. Uh, they attach themselves to the cell wall. And then once they're on the cell wall, uh, the researchers actually use like a near-infrared light. Uh, the light heats up the gold, and then the gold ruptures the bacteria. They've been doing this for a wound therapy. So something that probably wouldn't be as, uh, might not be possible for uh, bacterial infections within the body, but for treating wounds, it seems to be really, really effective. So these gold rods, uh, they kind of eliminate the potential for transfer of genetic material as well. So uh, a good way to really uh, treat wounds using phage therapy as well. Uh, and it was also shown, I think the latest study they had for this in mice showed that the nanoparticle phage therapy it was affected on wounds with uh, Pseudomonas, which when I worked in the burn unit, Pseudomonas was uh, a huge culprit for wound infections that would get, it's everywhere. Uh, Pseudomonas is, it's ubiquitous. Uh, doorknobs, uh, faucets, it, it kind of loves damp areas. Uh, so you can imagine anytime, like especially with wounds, uh, you know, you want to keep the wound moist, but you have a wound that is moist and is wrapped up and then you get bacteria in there, it spreads like wildfire. So Pseudomonas, um, which can be hard to treat, hard to kill, uh, has a very distinct smell to it too. And then also creates a, it's got a toxin, um, pyocyanin, which is a kind of bluish green toxin that will actually, you, we would know it in the burn center when you had somebody you suspected of Pseudomonas, you would kind of smell it, but the dressing also would have this kind of blue green uh, tinge to the drainage. So um, Pseudomonas bad. Uh, so there's that in UCLA. So they're kind of, like I said, using just new uh, techniques with phages. Uh, and then furthermore, just a few days ago, so kind of that'll kind of wrap up. Uh, well, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, adaptive phage therapeutics, uh, APT. This is a clinical stage biotechnology company. Uh, 
they're kind of looking to develop phage-based therapies as well, and they actually just got a huge grant, uh, $12 million. It's not even a grant, it's just an investment uh, from Deerfield Management and uh, AMR Action Fund. And it's, a, I guess, a total investment of $24 million. It's a Series B1 testing. Uh, and it looks over time, there could be about $30 million total thrown into this, which is great. I mean, it's, if, when you think about research and how much money is thrown at research, it doesn't seem like a ton of money. But if just a few of these projects really show that there's a lot of efficacy right now uh, in phage therapy, it could be something that is, you know, within the next 10 years, um, you know, maybe even more than that, uh, used uh, mainstream especially with the reduction and you know there's there's this antimicrobial stewardship that we have in hospitals where we're really trying to not use antibiotics unless it's absolutely warranted uh, so if phage therapy becomes an alternative to that it would be great uh, I think that the you know the main hurdles are one just having it become more accepted but that's where I mean the FDA like I said they are on board for this we just need more studies more research and it may be years before there's enough research to you know fully have uh fully have fda approved treatments but it can be used now there are instances where they have uh compassionate uses for it so uh, i know that during covid uh, to treat these uh there were a lot of people who are coming down with bacterial infections after being treated for COVID because a lot of the medications we were treating for COVID, uh, especially the monoclonal antibodies, lowered the immune system, you're already hurting because of COVID. So uh, people would get these, uh, these infections and they could use it uh, on a compassionate use. Um, phage therapy was being trialed. So uh, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, I'd call it cutting edge, but I mean, it's, a, it's been around for 100, over 100 years now. So it's cut, cutting edge, but not cutting edge. So... That's kind of phage therapy uh, in a nutshell. Normally right now, we would do our death count, but uh, you know, there's not a lot of people dying from the phage therapy. Lots of bacteria though. So I will leave us just with uh, one interesting statistical fact, uh, just uh, the efficiency of phages in general and their ability to kill. So it's estimated that anywhere from 15 to 40% of the bacteria in the ocean are killed every day by bacteriophages. Uh, due to this, they are responsible for influence everything from plankton growth uh, to, you know, some people even think just the climate itself because it's such a huge, huge distribution of bacterial death uh, that it can affect uh, CO2 levels uh, at, the, at the sea level and that affects everything else in the sea. Um, and as we all know, as our oceans go, uh, so does uh, the climate. So that are bacteria those are that are there those are bacteriophages uh i want to thank everybody for listening i know it's been a while since my last episode uh trying to uh figure out what i'm going to do next uh should in the next few weeks have two or three hopefully uh new episodes coming out um i think i might do one on uh cyanobacteria so cyanobacteria is what causes green and blue algae. It uh, can be lethal to animals. It uh, can make you guys sick too. So it's going to be summertime, and we'll see that a lot in the summertime, uh, ponds and lakes. So uh, maybe I'll take a look at that. But uh, any other suggestions, please uh, feel free to email me. Uh, you make me sick pod at gmail.com. We can be found on Twitter uh, at make me sick pod. 
Uh, I want to thank any of my new Twitter followers. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, always looking for feedback. Uh, any suggestions or content suggestions, let me know. Uh, and I will probably, I don't know what our next episode will be. But uh, if anybody has a suggestion, please let me know. And remember to always wash your hands. It can't form complex machines. Guns and explosives have chemicals, moving parts. It doesn't work that way. But it can form solid metal shapes. It's a bowel movement. I like them French fried potatoes.